Next hour on most of these the same frequencies. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. Today we are going to talk about a rather serious topic: the future. This is cracking the code with Sadir Ispahani. In this episode, Ekta Dang, CEO and founder of You First Capital, when Dang landed her first job in the big corporate world. She expected it would be her chance to, as she put it, fly her career kite. Not realizing that there will be other players who will be trying to fly their own kites, and there will be threats with the intention of just pulling down my kite. But Dang learned to fly her career kite around the other kites. Not an easy thing for a woman in the corporate world. For fighting that, a single kite will not be able to do that. We have to get together. <laughs> And fight for our own cause. Experienced and successful women can help. They can share their experience with younger women who are trying to learn how to fly their kites in the sky, and share with them the visibility experiences and the difficulties that they have faced. And Dang has advice for women in the corporate world. Be true to your strengths. Let your actions speak. Be eager to learn. Be teachable, and uh, be a good listener. Now your guide for cracking the code, Sudhir Ispahani. Welcome, Hector, to Cracking the Code. It's been a pleasure and privilege to know you, and thank you for uh, joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, appreciate the years that we've gotten to know each other, uh, both Sanjit and yourself. So it's been a privilege to be part of that journey. So. Uh, Thank you again. And as we sort of kick off the show, as you know, it's about pioneering thought leaders. You've been one of them, and I just want you to walk back to your journey from your early childhood and where you grew up. What inspired you? What drove you to getting into the world of technology, and how you chose that career? So, if you can walk us through a little bit of that. Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. First of all, I was born in Delhi in a middle-class family. and um i'm very fortunate to be born in a middle class family because i think um, a middle class family in india offers tremendous opportunity to learn but i have been more fortunate than that because my dad has been very inspiring and very motivating just uh, looking at him and what he has accomplished and executed by running a newspaper that he has been doing for the last 30ish years of his life is amazing and it he has always been that father figure who is not really the genetic father as he obviously is for me but the person who always wanted me to achieve more than what i could ever think of him or imagine of achieving so that environment gave me an opportunity to go and venture beyond what i thought was possible for me and um, every time the world around me they tried to define my limits i would question my boundaries and remember that my dad probably wants me to achieve more that's quite amazing to hear that and our parents obviously are play a very big role in our lives so share a little bit more about some of those insights that allowed you to shape your thinking and your successful career So I grew up in Delhi and uh, did my PhD from you know Delhi University Department of Electronics 
and um, a typical middle class girl would end up in a teaching career after that but i was kind of not happy to settle down there i was trying to harness the new found internet at my home and use that to explore the world outside of my boundaries and one fine day i came upon an opportunity in malaysia and without in you know telling more details about that opportunity to my parents i just applied for it and one evening there's a call that comes into me from malaysia saying that i've been selected for this teaching opportunity in malaysia it has a research um you know it has some avenues for research as well and my mom was like furious she's like she was told me you're out of your mind totally because <laughs> there's never ever been a girl who stepped out of um the boundaries of the protected environment this the city in fact uh, or the you know the house the household offers and you're talking about leaving the entire country on your own to stay there and pursue your career and i want to mention this this particular event that this offer letter came on 30th of september 2000 which happens to be my dad's birthday i took that packet uh, which was which you know my employment packet that they sent to me that day and threw it on the bed and just said one sentence i wish i were a boy because that would not limit me or prevent me from taking this opportunity and that sentence was i did not know the power of the sentence until a week later my dad turned around and said i'm going to make it happen for you regardless of whether it has been done before or not and sure enough i applied for it we were set both me and my dad were set out to malaysia on 26th of december 2000 and i availed that opportunity that was my first experience of having the wings of my own and coming out of the protected home environment and being able to harness that opportunity i learned so much about the world around me and it had such wonderful experience that they left a very unforgettable memories they left a couple of unforgettable memories for me but then you know life obviously moves on and uh, i met this amazing person my husband and uh, i came to this world of opportunities called the us of a and uh, started off my journey with some struggles around breaking through my first career in this country and landed up to some university teaching opportunities for a couple of months before joining the big corporate umbrella have been part of the big corporate umbrella for the last 16 years now moved across from deep technical product roles early on gravitated over to the business development and was fortunate enough to do some uh, venture investing deals in mainly in iot and cybersecurity but tremendous learnings across uh, across this journey as well you've had a very phenomenal and successful career but also a great journey and of course uh, you're based here in silicon valley so what were some of those insights and learnings you had early on from living in the corporate world here and of course being a woman and creating success for yourself sure it's been a very interesting journey the big corporate world was a big opportunity for me as well to be able to showcase what i could 
do and I looked at it as that thread of my kite, my career kite that I thought the way I flew it would soar high in the sky, not realizing that there will be other players who will be trying to fly their own kites and there will be threads with the intention of just pulling down my kite and uh, <laughs> each of them would be a very interesting experience by itself. So I've been fortunate to be able to learn to fly my kite, but not just be able to look at the wind and use my hand and my skills that I've learned in terms of the knowledge that I've acquired or the technical knowledge that I've acquired and the soft skills that I've acquired, but also in being able to fly my kite around the different kites with different intentions around me. I would say that learning in terms of flying my kite while being playing around with other kites is, is, has been very interesting. Very uh, fascinating to hear that. So coming back again to, you know, your, your parents, it looks like especially your dad shaped a very specific base of confidence in your abilities to have become as successful as you are. And as I'm being aware, you are now the founder of Accelerator, uh, U-Force Capital, that is very focused on bringing the best in the industry and the best in the world of entrepreneurship together. So share a little bit of those learnings that you had carried early on from your childhood, developing years onto your uh, college years, and of course now, I mean. So I already mentioned my dad has been driving us publication single-handedly. And I looked up to that publication called University Today um, as an opportunity for me to express myself and be able to get the views of the world around me as well. So a small instance that I remember of he empowering me through his journal was when I was graduating as a senior in high school and was ready for college. And I think uh, for my standards um, and from the standards of the school that I was going to, I performed pretty well. And um, I was given this opportunity to start my bachelor's in physics or be able to pay some money into a capitation college. We used to call it a capitation college and get my engineering degree. And I was exposed to a difficult crossroad of life at that time when my dad was saying, hey, if you, if you are interested, again, that was, I'll make it happen for you. And now it was my turn to look inside me and think, do I really want that to happen? Mm -hmm. And the answer that came is no, absolutely no. And that made me write a poem called Give Me Wings. And that poem resonated so well <laughs> with a lot of students who kind of felt the pain and felt the uh, lost opportunity that they had to suffer because their parents didn't have that kind of a donation money to give to engineering colleges at that time. Uh -huh. And the last line of that poem read, the goddess of education was sold with swords of silver, diamond and gold. The goddess of education was sold. There are a lot of professors who came back to me reading that poem through this journal, University Today, which at that time had a circulation of about 5,000 uh, faculty members mm -hmm. because it was essentially targeted towards the university community. So it had 5,000 
readers all across the universities and it kind of made them think on them coming together to fight against this cause. And I wrote a simple poem, but that inspired those faculty members and those teachers across different colleges to unite and fight against this cause uh, in terms of giving an equal opportunity to students who do desire to take education in engineering at that time. Fascinating. So um, when did you start thinking that you're going to be thrust into leadership and and how did you start defining that in your mind? And clearly your dad was, again, a, a great influencer, watching him and observing and learning from him. But clearly your thoughts started taking on to wanting to be a leader. And give us a little bit of that journey. So my dad always uh, did one thing very well. He always made me see the ground very clearly and make me touch the ground very often. So particularly during the early years of my career and, um, you know, early corporate career as well, I never thought of myself as a leader. But looking back, the way I learned to flight my kite amongst people who tried to pull me down, I consider myself a leader in that space because (laughs) there are unique ways of everyone learning to learn how to fly their kites when there are so many others around you trying to either intertwine or pull you down. Uh, I'll, you know, without being too abstract, I can give you several examples. I've been next to my husband, who has a very successful corporate career, and we've been in common startup meetings where I've been fortunate enough to listen to their stories, give advice, and there have been umpteen number of times the entrepreneurs look at me and say, hey, you know what? I mean, I can read in their eyes that their eyes are shining at the ideas they're getting from me, but their pride prevents them from accepting that that unique idea comes from a woman. And um, a lot of the times they have been even audacious enough to say, that they had thought of this idea before. Whereas, you know, me and my husband go back, turn around from from that meeting and we laugh at each other and say, you know what, another entrepreneur who says, oh yeah, I thought of that idea before. (laughs) (laughs) At first, it used to be very heartbreaking and I used to come out very angry after these meetings Mm -hmm. and then started to enjoy it and laugh at it Mm -hmm. and uh, looked at it as an opportunity to really prove that whether the idea was conceived by me or not, execution is another ball game. And if you really conceived it, Mr. Entrepreneur, you should have been able to execute it yourself. And if you didn't, <laughs> you will have to come back to me. Mm. So Fascinating, actually. And uh, expand a little bit on that because you've seen uh, it's been an interesting journey in Silicon Valley here for you as a woman, as a successful uh, person and now, uh, you know, as a successful investor in your new venture, how have you seen that change for the good and for the bad and for the ugly? So um, I think this land offers a lot of opportunity for women in terms of the directions they can go into, in terms of the avenues they can penetrate into. But there's public data around that only 2% of those women-founded companies are funded. So um, it is not a secret I'm trying to reveal that they have to go through their own struggles. 
that there are stereotypes and umpteen number of them, and they have to steer their way through their through the biases. Uh, and I've just gave an example of the biases I have faced in my journey as well as a woman. So to crystallize, um, there have been opportunities in terms of the avenues women can enter. And uh, there are opportunities where women can empower themselves through technology and by growing and kindling their own knowledge and experience. But in terms of the number of threads that twine their kites and the number of kites that come up into the sky with the clear intention of pulling them down, I think for fighting that, a single kite will not be able to do that. We have to get together um, and fight for our own cause to be able to, one, clearly see that when a kite is getting intertwined, it is not because you are weakened your skills to fly your kite, but because they had a clear intention of bringing it down. So identifying those situations requires experience and unfortunately takes years before you get to that. And I think um, where some of the relatively successful women can help is that they can share their experience with younger women who are trying to learn how to fly their kites in the sky and share with them the visibility experiences and the difficulties that they have faced and be able to differentiate that it's not their own skills, but it's the environment around them that is pushing them down. Very insightful. Thank you for sharing those insights. They'll be very valuable for our audience, especially many women who are struggling in corporate careers and are sometimes demotivated with what they see around them. But the little I know of you, Hector, you're a very positive person. And how do you exude and carry that positive energy and focus around you at times when you know that you're actually having to work doubly hard to prove your point, especially in a world that's very much dominated by the majority? Yeah, so I'm actually to answer this question, I'm reminded of a quote from Chanakya that inspires me through and through. Mm -hmm. And there are videos around Chanakya actually saying that, that I watch a lot of times actually. And I'm happy to say that quote in Hindi, in our local language, and then translate it in English as well. The quote says, Jiske bheeter jitna satya hoga, use utna hi samarth prapt hoga. And what that means is, the extent of truth within you defines your potential. So what keeps me going is really the truth within me. I'm trying to be the real me. I'm trying to grow the real me. I'm not trying to be in a disguise. I'm not trying to showcase what I'm not. And given that I'm just trying to grow the real me, showcase the real me, and looking for the right presence and recognition that I deserve when I'm trying to do something right, that I think the power, the celestial power, the unknown power comes and joins my hand in terms of delivering what I need to deliver. Thank you for sharing with us that wonderful insight. One more question on leadership. This journey is quite fascinating for all of us who have been in it, but clearly it's about the next generation and Congratulations to you on your daughter already taking on the footsteps of both you and Sanjit and starting very early on as a leader in her own right. 
what would you share in terms of advice for the next generation of millennial leaders? What is it that you, from your own experiences, can give back to these next generation of leaders to learn from? It is actually exactly the same that, uh, you know, I told my daughter this birthday itself. I brought her a poster, which is something similar, reads something similar that says, real people will value the real you. So keep kindling the real you, because that is something that no one will be able to take away from you. And while kindling the real you, remember that you have a bigger purpose in life. And the bigger purpose in life is not to just look good and feel good, but the bigger purpose in life is how you're going to empower and kindle the lamps that have never seen any light for years. That's a very, very interesting point to reflect on. And how do you suggest that the women in this next generation of leadership focus their thoughts to become successful in? What are some of the things they can practically do? So I think the first thing is let your actions speak. Be true to your strengths, because I've seen a lot of women not trying to play to their strengths and using distractions to attract and take shortcuts to be able to get to where they think they want to be there. But I think it is very important to keep to your strengths because at some point during the journey of being in disguise, someone who's smart will be able to discover that that's not the real you. And that will be a, a bigger disaster, not just for that particular woman, but for that woman who is kind of representing the women community in general. And that is very, very damaging. So be true to your strengths. Let your actions speak. Be eager to learn. Be teachable. And uh, be a good listener. Thank you. That's very, very valuable. And switching a little bit to our topics, uh, you've been in the world of technology. I'd love to get your insights, especially now as an investor. You know, you've had a phenomenal journey all the way from starting with your PhD career. You've seen technology evolve. It's also done a lot of interesting things. Disruption, positively, disruption, negatively. A lot of good has come out of and you're at the forefront of it, sitting here in Silicon Valley. Love to get your thoughts on how you see technologies becoming enablers. What are some of the key areas you're focused on? There's a lot of talk these days about AI and what's happening there and, and many other things, IoT, etc. But give our audience a view uh, from, the, from the front lines here in Silicon Valley. Sure, I'm happy to. So there's definitely amazing examples on what technology has been doing and what it has for the future. So be it AI when it comes to autonomous driving, be it conversational AI, be it AI in terms of understanding um, individual personalized health. And that I'm very, actually, that's a sector that I think is very close to my heart in terms of the impact that sector can deliver. And given that industry really is has a lot of opportunity for still for being disrupted, I think that technology can really empower that particular sector, the sector of personalized health. 
But in general, I think with the different avenues of AI coming, whether it's in terms of conversation, in terms of computer vision as it applies to a lot of different applications, including autonomous driving, in terms of the ability to replicate human brain and the ability to replicate human touch, I think there is a lot of potential for the technology to do good and good not just for a targeted group of audience, but for the weak and the suffering as well, and include the underprivileged, be it, you know, be it uh, communities that have been not been able to utilize um, the opportunities around them. I think technology provides a newer avenues to be able to do so and do it in ways that have not been cracked before. So really, it is an opportunity uh, for the underprivileged and the weaker community to be able to crack the code from that perspective. Mm, fantastic. Share with us some of the latest insights and what you're seeing and as trends in this area, you know, and how you see that positive disruption happening. Yeah. So there's a very nascent technology that is developing around the human sense of touch. It is not ready for prime time from an investor standpoint, but I was very fascinated to see that. And then there is, you know, uh, particularly technologies which are taking and building platforms uh, on blockchain, which um, which take in data, a human data, uh, whether it's molecular data or genetic data, and then historical health issues in that particular family to be able to predict the chances of a particular disease happening in a certain individual. I think that is that is really very empowering. And there should be a strong force and backing from the well-known Silicon Valley investors in that direction, if not for the returns, but at least for the altruism that uh, that they that most of them boast about. That'll be very interesting to watch and see what's happening. Coming back to this human touch thing, how do you see a particular application of that happening? I mean, when it starts maturing as a technology? One direct application is prosthetics. And, uh, you know, for all those people who have lost their limbs for some reason, we're able to get prosthetics today that could do some mechanical functions but the sense of that touch is is a whole new world opening up to them. And I think uh, if they could perceive the presence of an object, they could mechanically grab objects, but being able to touch objects and get that sense of touch, I think, is very empowering for them. Fascinating. You're obviously uh, founder in an accelerator. i uh, love for you to share a little bit about your vision there. But um, before we go there, you know, as a woman, what got you thinking about wanting to start a accelerator? How many women are doing this? It'll be I'm curious myself to know if other women have ventured into the space and how well they've done. So there have been women actually driving accelerators, but at you first capital, and I say we because we are fortunate enough to get a great pool of industry advisors all the way from, you know, MetLife, Google, Samsung, uh, Honda, Yamaha, Entity, um, and a whole host of corporations. We are positioning this 
incubation hub. I like to call it more like an incubation hub as opposed to an accelerator because this platform takes in innovation uh, from the universities, from the startup community, and gives it a common platform for discovery and acceleration. But it does so while taking in or incorporating quite a bit of design thinking through getting feedback from bigger corporations on their gaps in innovation. So the startups are not building a product and and then trying to take it to market. Mm -hmm. The idea is to be able to expose them to industry gaps and innovation gaps within the corporate umbrellas and position their products to fulfilling those gaps. So they have a higher probability of acceptance and a faster time to market, um, an easier path to prototyping and testing out their product. And then they know to begin with what are their opportunities to scale. Because exposing them to the bigger corporate has already empowered them and also enlightened them about the issues with regard to scaling and the opportunities around it as well. So I think that's where we serve the bigger corporate. We allow the startups to be able to utilize this ecosystem while being able to, uh, you know, we have a partnership with about 20 to 25 different universities. Um, We have advisors from Stanford, Harvard, Princeton, Babson, Northwestern, Kellogg, and again, a whole host of uh, schools, including Tsinghua University from China and um, and University of Melbourne and Frankfurt Institute of Advanced Studies. I think that gives uh, the entrepreneurs who would be part of this community an opportunity to look at their product from a global standpoint and get opportunities all across the globe, from corporations all across the globe, from academia all across the globe, and also, you know, get get learnings early on on which geography is their product more suitable for. I was at actually a diversity and inclusion panel at Google Launchpad just this last week. And one of the prime questions there was, why do you want you first to be global? I think the answer is that a lot of the entrepreneurs here in Valley are, you know, looking at some sectors as hot sectors and trying to position their product and competing against each other. And I don't think that's a really good strategy because not every product is best suited to begin with an intention of being marketed here in the U.S. So getting an understanding of which geography would be best suited to first take their product to market and then use that as an opportunity to build a diverse team that gives them the advantage of taking the product to market in that geography. If your product is more suited for an aging population in Japan, why don't you have somebody who is aware of the Japanese culture and can better relate to opportunities in the consumer market in Japan? Mm-hmm. If you have a robot, you may be the best technology from the best school in, the, in, the, in North America, but if you have to sell it outside of the US, you better have that kind of diversity and mix in of um, background experience and even understanding of uh, deeper understanding of whether your customers would resonate with mm-hmm. that product or not. Very interesting um, model that you're working on and wish you great success in it. And uh, 
I'd like to, you know, come back a little bit to the thoughts around the foundations that we all create with leadership and, you know, what those mean to each of us. So um, what are the, some of those foundational morals and values that started very early in your life with watching your parents and your extended family that you carry with you as a leader today? Sure. So um, my daughter, you know, already shared with you that she saw both her grandparents, both sides, as, um, you know, working women. And um, so she's absolutely right. And that, you know, resonated with me as well. If my mom, who is, you know, obviously one generation behind me, can showcase the kind of execution she does by doing her job well at work while being such a great super mom at home, why can't I? Mm-hmm. So I had, um, the bar was high to begin with in my, <laughs> in my life as well. Um, I grew up seeing my mom being able to play both roles. My dad, being a very well-read person, he, you know, in a small house in Delhi, mm-hmm. we have a one full full room dedicated to his books, mm-hmm. and there have been questions around, hey, where do you, you know, the whole library of um, his whole study room or library takes a huge portion of the house, um, but um, he has probably read like um, about more than or you know about two thousand books in his career. So um, that inspired me to at least be able to learn from him. You know, you, you, I go to him and I, he, he, uh, we can discuss with anybody on any topic because of the kind of reading he did all through his life. And the biggest thing is that I have learned to be able to be true to myself mm-hmm. and um, just kindle the truth within you. And I think the potential will come your way is the biggest message I got from my parents. And how do you define that success every day? At the end of the day, when you sort of reflect back on your day, how do you feel like you've been successful? It's, I think there are two ways uh, I would like to define it. Either I've created a tool that empowers somebody to be successful, or I've directly, com- you know, been part of somebody's success. So um, in building up you first capital and getting um, the top brains in this country and beyond and the people with great background and experience, I think I'm empowering people to be able to use you first capital as a tool. It is not a product, just like Steve Jobs said, you know, it's not what a PC is. It is what you can do with it that you can make out of it. And I think it is not what you first capital is, but what you can do with this network is important to me. So this platform as a tool, um, if I'm able to empower this tool, I consider it a success of the day. And if I'm able to directly help an entrepreneur, I think that gives me a lot of uh, gratification at the end of the day. Fantastic. Clearly wish you great success as you kick off this venture, and I hope that you'll have a tremendous impact the world around you. And as we sort of start coming to a close on the show, I just wanted to ask you one other thing. What would you want people to remember you by? What does that epitaph look like for you? I think uh, that epitaph would read, real people will value the real you, so keep kindling the real you. 
And that's, I think, really important, right? Because at the end of the day, that is really success. You know, if you can make that difference in one life, you know, it's a huge thing. So really appreciate you coming on the show, Hector. And thank you again for sharing your insights, cracking the code. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Bye-bye. So dear, Ekta Dang went where she was told girls just don't go. She left India for opportunities in other countries, something normal for men, but not for young ladies. It's important to note, too, that her father helped her all of the way. I enjoyed her philosophical way of describing what those first years were like in the big corporate world. She used the analogy of flying her career kite, how she soon learned that there were other kites trying to make hers crash. She now uses her experiences and success to help younger women launch their career kites. And she does it with humor. I liked how she now laughs at how men sometimes would steal her ideas, saying they already had it before she suggested it. And she knows that if they did, well, they failed to execute on it. And that's where she knows they will need her. And before I ever knew Ekta Dang, I knew of her daughter, Tarini Dang, an accomplished entrepreneur, venture capitalist, author at the age of 14. Listening to the mother fully explains the daughter. By the way, go back and listen, if you haven't already, to Episode 8 of Cracking the Code.